Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, today we're talking about communication. That is hormones. If you know that your body is self-healing and self-regulating, if you didn't, by gosh, it's going to be news to a lot of doctors out there. But let me tell you, your body is self-healing and self-regulating. This means that you have 70 trillion cells in your body that are constantly, constantly um, updating information. So you might ask, how does your stomach know to produce the right amount of stomach acid? in the right amount? How does your intestinal tract know how to move um, food through it? How does the pancreas know when to secrete bicarb? How does the uh, liver know how much cholesterol to produce? How do, do the adrenal glands respond to the environment? And how do the, this whole thing work in harmony with each other? Well, I want it, this time we're going to talk about hormones, but it's also about the nervous system because it's super important that with 70 trillion cells in your body, there's a major, major communication pathway going on. And what's a trip is uh, one of the sources of diseases today, and this is the main source of disease. And I know you're thinking, oh, fibromyalgia, lupus, um, uh, anxiety, stress, depression, bowel disorders, inflammatory bowel disorders, all of these disorders are separate diseases. Uh, not really. Not, not if you look at things that can interrupt that communication pathway or endocrine disruptors. Now, we have a three-hour, now it took me eight hours to film a three-hour um, segment on hormones, and it's going to be available at ExtremeHealthAcademy.com, uh, and I, I'm thinking it's going to be on like Teachable or Udemy as well. I'm not sure about that, but you can go to ExtremeHealthChallenge.com and join our challenge this month. And it's all little exercises you can do to regulate um, your hormones correctly. Because if you have correct um, hormones produced, so when I say hormones, think of organ-to-tissue communication. And if you have appropriate organ-to-tissue communication, then you can adapt to the environment and you're not going to develop a lack of ease or dis-ease. So let's look at the the connection between the nervous system, which controls and coordinates every function of the body, and the hormonal system, which controls your nervous system. And you might think, oh, wait a second, how does that work? Well, we're going to talk about a specific aspect of the hormonal system called the hypothalamus. Uh, Now, this is huge, because when you look at this, um, the... the, uh, If you look at the hypothalamus, it synthesizes and secretes neurohormones, often called uh, hypothalamic-releasing hormones. Now, these regulate the secretion of pituitary hormones. So the hypothalamus controls the master gland called the pituitary. And certain metabolic processes, um, what this gland does, what the hypothalamus does, is it can stimulate the... um, pituitary, but also the autonomic nervous system to regulate temperature, regulate blood pressure, thirst, hunger, the sleep-wake cycle. So how does all of this stuff work? Well, let's look at the stress response. Now, first, so your brain has to interpret a stressor. 
And and I know it, it's interesting because you're thinking, no, it doesn't stress happen. No, it has to do with your interpretation of it. So how does your body actually go through this process of realizing that you're in the stress state? Well, the amygdala is the emotional area processing of the brain. Now, the amygdala is part of your limbic or emotional aspect. And this perceives danger. What it does, it actually interprets images and sounds. And let me give you an example. If you're walking down and you're passing a dark alley and you see over there a snarling dog, uh, your brain interprets those images and sounds. Uh, Like if you're a dog trainer, you're going to know that dog is expressing fear and you're going to want to go in there and give the dog love to calm him down. And if it, so that interprets that image, that sound, that situation. If you're walking along and you see a dog snarling in a dark alley and you're not a dog trainer, you might interpret fear. Okay, so one is going to have a love response or a serotonin and dopamine response. And the other is going to have a fight or flight response to get you ready for battle or to run away from the snarling dog. And so this amygdala is part of the emotional aspect of the brain called the limbic system. Now, this sends a signal over to the hypothalamus. Now, this is the command center of the body. So it's going to elevate breathing, elevate blood pressure, elevate heart rate. Uh, it's going to either vasodilate or constrict the blood vessels based on, on what the amygdala interprets. So I want you to get this. The, based on this stimulus or the pre-programming of your data, um, you're going to initiate a response that either is parasympathetic or sympathetic. Parasympathetic is the rest, digest, and repair. So your body can digest nutrients, repair itself, and the sympathetic is to keep you alive under fight or flight. So the amygdala passes off to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus stimulates the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system sends a signal down to the adrenal glands, and that produces the stress response. So I want you to look at this entire hormonal system and the connection between the nervous system has intimately uh, associated with how your entire body works. Uh, And if you think about it, so first, um, the perception of danger initiates, and we're just going to go on the stress response. Hypothalamus sends nerve impulses down to the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands produce uh, catecholamines, adrenaline, norepinephrine, epinephrine, norepinephrine. It decreases a blood supply to the gut and decrease and elevates blood pressure. It tells the liver to convert glycogen to glucose. It increases heart rate and opens up the blood vessels or the air passages inside the lungs called bronchioles. So all of this happens under perception of stress. So you might be thinking, well, wait a second. What is high blood pressure? What is high uh, cholesterol? If you thought that those were diseases, they're not. Um, High blood pressure, high cholesterol, fever, um, uh, uh, type 2 diabetes or elevations in blood sugar, If you look at all of these, they can either be a healthy response based on a perception of stress or an unhealthy adaptive response based on the environment. 
so let me let me run this by you again because it's really important that you own this aspect. Uh, what people are considering diseases now are not. They're actually stress responses or the body is responding correctly to an interpretation of environmental um, stimuli. And what I mean by that is when you look at physical, chemical, emotional stress, uh, based on a perception by your body, your body is going to respond correctly. That means blood supply to the gut is going to be shut down, all of this. See, we get into a problem by realizing those stress responses are actually uh, patho pathologic. So in our crazy society now, we're looking at um, high blood pressure as a disease, high cholesterol has a disease, um, fevers have to be reduced, okay, because it can cause brain damage. I mean, all of these ignorant um, uh, understandings of human physiology have to do with not understanding the body is self-healing and self-regulating. See, doctors of the future will not be measuring your blood pressure and giving you a drug to lower it. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Doctors of the future are going to be looking at high blood pressure as an adaptive response, and they're going to look at the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors that's causing that. I mean, when if you look at high cholesterol, what's the function of cholesterol? Well, for one, cholesterol doesn't clog arteries, so we could throw that myth, myth in the trash can. But cholesterol is 50% of your brain weight. It's the precursor to every lipid um, hormone that you make or fat hormone. It, so you're talking every glucocorticosteroid, minocorticosteroid, sex hormone. All of these, all of these are formed out of cholesterol. Cholesterol is the bilipid um, layer around almost every cell you have. So cholesterol is vital. So the doctor of the future will look at high cholesterol as an adaptive physiologic process, not as a pathogenic. So, I mean, just, just for the heck of it, let's look at dopamine. Now, dopamine, dopamine is synthesized mainly in neurons and in cells in the adrenal glands. Now, what dopamine does, if you look at movement, movement increases dopamine production. And in fact, dopamine's involved in reward-motivated behavior. Most addictive drugs increase dopamine. Uh, in, in fact, dopamine inhibits adrenaline release. It opens up blood vessels. It can actually reduce insulin production. So there's a number of different things that dopamine does. But dopamine itself is used as a precursor in the synthesis of neurotransmitters like norepinephrine and epinephrine, or, you know, stress hormones. So it's, it's really interesting if you just look at dopamine. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm going to bring up a patient, sweet gal, she's 80 years old, she's had a Parkinson's diagnosis, but she comes in with 13 different medications, and, and, you know, her son-in-law is a medical doctor. Um, you know, a lot of her family is in the medical uh, mindset. And luckily, it, just talking with common sense, uh, what happens if 10 people take one of these drugs? Are they going to have the same response? No. What if 10 people took 10 of these drugs? Are they going to have the same response? Absolutely not. And so how can you say that a person taking 13 medications 
that has Parkinson's. And some of these are antacids, which limit the um, acid production of the stomach, which decreases mineral absorption, which can cause heart problems. Or the blood pressure drugs, which actually cause the blood pressure to go too low, causing a decreased oxygen to the brain, which is what we need, or cholesterol medications would decrease the availability of fat hormones or lipid hormones. So so you start looking at this and thinking, wait a second, do all medications interrupt that communication with the brain to the tissue cell? Um, so does this mean chemicals we're assaulted with, could these be the main key to diseases? Absolutely. And that's the whole point of this. If you understand that disease, um, most diseases, in fact, 97% of diseases, 3% are genetic, but 97% of diseases are an adaptive physiologic response based on the cell communication. If you think it's a stressed state or not stressed, if your body can regenerate tissue or not. So let's look at what disrupts this communication. Uh, well, they're called endocrine disruptors. Endocrine disruptors are found where they can actually change or mimic the normal hormonal communication. And when, when you look at it, there's 87,000 uh, chemicals that are listed as endocrine disruptors that people are exposed to. Now, this is in food, personal care products, cosmetics, vaccines, pharmaceuticals, pesticides, plastic, water, soil. I mean, it's everywhere. No wonder we have so many disease factors. Uh, and I'm going to bring up some articles. This one out of the Journal of Environment and International. Uh, they went in in March 2016 to find out what type of environmental factors are associated with autism spectrum disorders. And what they found is, of course, pesticides, uh, BPA, solvents, air pollutants, heavy metals, especially aluminum used in vaccines, and detergents, insecticides, herbicides. So when you look at this, there's an epidemic of autism. Uh, within, uh, I think it's eight more years, we're going to have one in two kids with autism. And these endocrine disruptors, which are in not just the vaccines, but the food supply, the water supply, the air, these are having a negative effect on human beings. Um, it, it's, it's interesting in this article, it goes on to res, uh, explain that in the last decade, the underlying ideology or the cause of autism remains unknown. And, and even genetic research says that it has to be an environmental factor. And so then we look at other endocrine disruptors, uh, such as the human papilloma vaccine or HPV vaccine. And what they found, because they suspected that there was an increasing number of cases of primary ovarian insufficiency. It's called POI. And they're linking this problem to the human papilloma vaccine. And sure enough, this problem of increased um, uh, primary ovarian insufficiency or ovarian cancer has to do with uh, the vaccine or the HPV vaccine. And sure enough, animal models show it. And so <laughs> they can't establish causation, but they know there is a link between the HPV vaccine and um, 
you know, primary ovarian insufficiency. And then when we know that we have a very, very sick population of kids, and this kid population is exposed to a number of different endocrine disruptors, things that disrupt the communication between the brain and the tissue cell. And what are these endocrine receptors called? They're called vaccines. And this is 69 doses of 16 different vaccines by the time they're 18. Now, it's true that 46% of our kids don't have a chronic illness or disease. It is true that 54% do. It is true that about 1 in 28 have autism now. So there's some kind of problem with communication. Now, there is another article published out of the Journal of Steroid um, Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. And the title is Endocrine Disrupting Chemicals and Disease Susceptibility. And it's very interesting where they go through and they talk about the example of the chemicals like fungicides, herbicides, insecticides. And they talk about interruptions of circadian rhythm, problems with neurodevelopment, organ development, stress response. And a lot of these uh, chemicals are ridiculously common uh, when you're talking about how pesticides, um, phthalates, plasticizers, um, and halogenated compounds all negatively affect male sexual development, testosterone, and the diseases associated with it, such as um, prostate cancers. So now, what controls this? Now, when we look and, and I want to go back to the hypothalamus. Hypothalamus is connected to the amygdala, which is connected to the limbic system. So if you have consistent emotional stimuli or consistent emotional stress, your body's going to be in this fight-or-flight state. Now, physical, chemical, and emotional stress, when we look at all three of these, all three have the same um, weight in the body. What I mean by that is physical stress is just as important as the emotional stress, which is just as important as the chemical stress. So if you're dealing with any one of these, okay, you're going to have an issue with the body being in this fight-or-flight state, unable to regenerate healthy tissue. Um, you know, for an example, people under chronic stress, are they happy or sad? They're sad. So now um, here we have... The drugs that they give, again, we've got uh, an adaptive response treated with an endocrine-disrupting chemical or a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. This thing disrupts the communication between the brain and the tissue cell or organ and tissue cell. It has a wide range of, of effects. Now, these are drugs given to people who have anxiety and stress. And here's the challenge, though there's a worsening of severe disorders. So this is iatrogenic. In fact, these drugs can increase manic psychosis, depression, obsessive preoccupations, and increase of suicide and suicidality. And these are drugs given to people who are anxiety and stress. Well, how about let's look at the other aspect of this. Not chemicals that can alter the communication, but what type of substances can help communication? Help communication. How about omega-3 fatty acids? Now, again, remember, we're talking about the body communicating to the brain, the brain communicating to the body. 
And so we have this feedback loop through the hormonal system triggering the nervous system, nervous system doing that action, and then feeding back in to more information. Should the body still be in a stress state or should the body regenerate healthy tissue? Omega-3 fats are vital. Now, it's interesting. When you talk about how DHA and EPA, which are all uh, omega-3s, which are considered essential fatty acids, if you have a diet that's low in this, your body doesn't have the raw materials to regenerate healthy tissue. So this article is talking about the the absolute importance of omega-3 fatty acids uh, to pre- in neurodevelopment and to reduce aggression and help with autonomic dysregulation. Um, now, it's vital, and they say, ensuring optimal intakes of omega-3 fatty acids during early development and adulthood shows considerable promise in preventing aggression and hostility. So does this mean that the omega-3 deficient diet that our kids are under and the endocrine-disrupting chemicals that they're assaulted with, that this can result in violent behavior? Absolutely it can. So what do you do? What do you do right now? If you want healthy organ tissue and brain-to-body communication, what do you do? Like You've got to get your nervous system checked. Absolutely. Now, realizing that drugs are endocrine disruptors, and this could be the antacid, it could be the high blood pressure drug, whatever kind of pharmaceutical product that you are taking, it's altering a physiology in some form. So if you're taking a pharmaceutical product, find out why you're taking it and, and correct the problem. And once you correct the problem, you'll be, the doctor, of course, will want to take you off of it because every doctor knows that these medications are toxic and dangerous. And, and particularly by prescribing it, you run the risk of having huge problems in the body. And in fact, if you uh, present this in, in people, if you give them medication, they can have dangerous um, problems. So if you're taking drugs, fix the reason you're causing it, and once the reason is fixed, then the doctor will get you off of the drugs. Healthy, saturated fats, you need them to produce hormones. Now, there's endocrine disruptors in toxic meats, preserved foods, um, the water supply, canned food, pesticide-containing food, and toxic grains. So guess what? You just got to eliminate those. And what can you do? Well, realize that when we talk about structures of the brain, pain can reduce the structures or actually shrink the brain. And the brain, if you don't have healthy exercise, if you're, if you're exposed to blood pressure drugs or cholesterol drugs or endocrine-disrupting chemicals, you're talking that that brain can actually change in size and shape and function. So exercise, moderate exercise, can reverse normal brain shrinkage by 2%. I mean, literally reversing brain, um, age-related brain shrinking by up to one to two years just by doing a standard exercise because this increases blood flow. It increases oxygen. It detoxes the brain. And in fact, if you look at uh, Physiology Review, 
They say there's a striking ability of environmental enrichment and physical activity to empower adult brain plasticity. Uh, when you look at Dr. James Gordon, world-renowned re expert in using mind-body medicine to heal depression, they found out that exercise is at least as good, if not better, than antidepressants. So what can you do to maintain your health? Well, understand that you have a hormonal-based communication system. And that means that these use chemicals produced by your body to communicate. And this is connected to the nervous system via the hypothalamus. So you need normal systems. Look at your body has an ecosystem. What would you do if some animal was sick? Let's say you had a beaver or a bear. Would you give them a unique diet or would you give them a diet that they grew up with? You'd give them a diet that they grew up with. Would you give them um, a strange place to live or a healthy place to live? And I know this is like basic questions, but think of this. Your body is an ecosystem. It's designed to live off of certain nutrients. If you give that body toxic, sick nutrients, you're going to have a toxic, sick, endocrine-disrupting, lap-poor communicating body, and the health will suffer as a result. If you eat organic, plant-based diet that's local and seasonal, that's what you and your generations have been eating for forever. If you consume healthy fats, such as coconut oil and olive oil, if you consume fermented veggies so you can build up the gut bacteria, if you're juicing vegetables and blending fruits, if you're increasing your omega-3 fatty acids, if you're taking wild goji berries and blueberries and chocolate and elderberries, all of these are antioxidant-rich foods that can help replenish your nutrients and actually revitalize your tissue. Because when you hear inflammation is bad, when you hear inflammation is bad, it's not. Anytime you hear inflammation, think tissue damage. You don't have an inflammatory bowel disease. You have a damaged tissue in the gut. Damaged tissue in the gut. So we're not going to fight inflammation with an endocrine-disrupting, toxic, anti-inflammatory. What we are going to do is utilize inflammation in its process to repair tissue by taking antioxidants. Antioxidants are these little structures that can give up electrons and deactivate the byproduct of inflammation, which is free radicals. So what you want, you want inflammation to be effective in correcting the problem, not uh, effective in covering it up. So can you see why we put the five keys of health at the end of every um, every health talk. And we're talking more than 800 now. Uh, proper nerve supply. Why? Because you live your life through the nervous system. Uh, if you view the world as stressful or healthy, your body's going to respond accordingly. Why regular exercise? Well, because you want to look good. No, you exercise for healthy brain function and because you're designed to do that. Proper nutrition. This means that man makes it, you do not eat it. You know, organic, seasonal, plant-based. And if you're saying, oh, no, plant-based, yeah, how about um, take risotto, organic rice, 
to cook it down with a little bit of um, healthy fats over a low heat so it congeals. Then roll this and, um, and bake it so you get these risotto balls. And then you bake some cauliflower with a little bit of olive oil on top and saute some purple cabbage with some onions and mushrooms. I know, doesn't that sound good? Okay, that was dinner last night. You can actually eat healthy. You want a really rocking dessert? How about some fresh sliced banana, a little manuka honey, some nuts, a little bit of shredded coconut on top? I'm telling you, get out there. Enjoy. So you can do this. And then sufficient rest. You need sufficient rest in order to get that parasympathetic nervous system built up. Your body is a metabolic, a sea of metabolic functions. And at nighttime, that's when your body regenerates tissue. And then prayer and meditation. Because you need to have that connection with a higher power and to realize that your body is more energy than matter. A healthy nerve supply, regular exercise, proper nutrition, sufficient rest, and prayer and meditation. It just makes sense. Now, all this stuff, I'd encourage you to go to Extreme Health Academy. There's a number of areas of the website you don't have to pay for. There's a member site, too, that you get a lot more information. But just go there. Go to ExtremeHealthChallenge.com and sign up for our challenges. we got a new one every month. And you can even go back and do the old ones. And you don't have to be a member. Just get out there. We've got exercises on how to change your, your um, hormonal level and to reduce your endocrine-disrupting challenges that you may be exposed to. And also, we've got another cruise coming up next year in March, March 15th to the 21st. We're going to Cuba. So take us to Cuba. You're going to have a good time. Okay, I just think it's going to be a blast. We've got a great lineup of speakers so far. There's a couple of guys that haven't confirmed, but I think it's going to be a blast. <sighs> Your body is self-healing, self-regulating, and intelligent. The things you do with it are going to enhance life or detract from it. Choose the life-enhancing nutrients and life-enhancing um, functions. Um, this is Dr. John Bergman, your health advocate. God bless you, and I love you.